0: Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to episode 18 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast. This episode is the second of four in which I'll explore how your investment in a crisis determines whether you respond positively or negatively to it. This episode is part two of how to shift from overinvestment to healthy investment. In order to devote the necessary time, effort, and energy to overcome a crisis, you absolutely must be invested in a crisis when it confronts you. That said, a crisis that poses a high threat to your self-identity, self-esteem, and goals can lead to over-investing in rectifying the crisis, which often results in self-defeating behavior and a poor resolution to the crisis. As a result, it's imperative that you maintain a healthy level of investment when a crisis arises. Developing awareness about your level of investment in a crisis will allow you to prevent your emotional reaction from getting in the way of a constructive response. With increased awareness, you can take active steps to reduce your investment to a healthy level and pursue a path to a positive resolution of the crisis. The first step to finding this healthy investment is to balance your self-identity. If you're only invested in a few areas of your life, then a crisis to one important aspect of your self-identity can feel like a significant threat. It may be easier to understand how self-identity impacts people by thinking about life as similar to the stock market. It's very risky to invest all of your savings in one or two stocks because there is a chance that those stocks will go south and you'll lose most or all of your money. Conversely, if you invest your savings in a diversified and balanced portfolio, you may lose some money with some of your investments, but you're less likely to lose them all. While the losses will be unfortunate, they won't be ruinous. In terms of self-identity, consider the following example. Let's say that you're a lawyer immersed in your career. You've worked hard for your accomplishments and often evaluate your success in life by your productivity and successes at work. It's safe to say that you align your self-identity closely with your career. Then your spouse suddenly becomes ill and is unable to work due to serious illness. All of a sudden, you have increased responsibilities at home assist with their health care needs, and ensure the bills are paid. As you face the crisis of your spouse's health decline and manage the stress you feel from your additional responsibilities outside of work, the time you take away from the office starts impacting the quality of your work and your ability to be truly productive. Now there's another crisis brewing as you begin to experience a threat to your self-identity as a lawyer. On the other hand, if you better balance your self-identity, so that it's comprised of your career as a lawyer, your role as a spouse, your desire to help others, and your ability to problem solve difficult situations, you will be better able to manage your spouse's health crisis because you view your identity as consisting of multiple contributors, which allows you to respond more fluidly to the crisis. Further, since your self-identity isn't solely based on your career, the intensity of the threat to your self-identity is diminished and the potential for a self-identity crisis on top of your spouse's health crisis is eliminated. As a result, you won't feel a crippling impact because you will have other sources of meaning, satisfaction, and joy in your life to fall back on. From Janet Kingsford, a motivational speaker, balance is not something you find, it's something you create. A balanced self-identity can play a valuable role in your response to a crisis at several levels. First, A balanced self-identity means that you will not place your happiness or well-being on the line when you face a crisis. Yes, a crisis is upsetting in so many ways, and you will experience many unpleasant emotions. Yet, a balanced self-identity allows you to maintain your psychic integrity despite the tumult of a crisis. Second, you'll be able to keep the crisis in perspective, because the reality is that a crisis is not usually an existential threat to who you are as a person. Third, a balanced self-identity enables you to see a crisis in a more positive light. You'll be more optimistic, less fearful, and more clear-headed as you approach the crisis. More importantly, a balanced self-identity won't incur the psychological, emotional, and physical costs that an imbalanced self-identity can have in your life in the midst of a crisis. A balanced self-identity is best created by ensuring that you embrace healthy values that will support your efforts in a crisis. Having a self-identity pie, if you will, with many slices, allows you to spare one piece without sacrificing the whole pie, both psychologically and emotionally. So even when a crisis devours a few pieces of your self-identity pie, there are slices that remain intact for your quote-unquote nourishment. This balanced investment of your self-identity reduces the negative aspects of the crisis, such as anger, exasperation, and weariness. It also fosters prolonged engagement and commitment to the sometimes long and arduous process of overcoming a crisis. Another way to maintain a balanced self-identity is to set goals for the resolution of aspects of a crisis that you can control. As I've discussed throughout this podcast, many of today's crises are outside of our control, which can lead to feelings of helplessness and frustration. When you establish goals that you have control over, you feel empowered build confidence in your ability to surmount the crisis and focus on aspects of the crisis that you can actually impact, thus making success more attainable. From another motivational speaker, Earl Nightingale, people with goals succeed because they know where they're going. Finally, if you consider your overall self-identity pie, you can also create balance by ensuring that no one slice, particularly the one that's most affected by a crisis is too big. Thus, preventing this piece from becoming the dominant influence in your life. You can do this in two ways. One, you can recognize other important areas of your self-identity that you don't tend to give much attention to. For example, perhaps you value being a supportive boss or a loving parent and can gain appreciation for those roles in your life. In doing so, you invest more in parts of yourself in which you hadn't been previously invested, which results in a substantial decline in your investment in the crisis. Second, you can actively create new sources of self-identity by seeking out new roles in your life. Some examples include pursuing a hobby you've been interested in for a while, reconnecting with old friends, or giving back to your community. No matter how you develop a more balanced self-identity, you shrink the piece of the pie that the crisis contaminates. As a result, your investment and its negative impact on your response to the crisis are reduced. Another important thing you can do in a crisis is learn to let go. At the heart of overinvestment is attachment. As Buddhists will tell you, when we are overly invested in something, we allow ourselves to become inextricably connected to it and can stubbornly hang on to it when letting it go may be a much better course of action. There's no doubt when you care deeply about something and a crisis disrupts it, the sense of loss can be painful. In an attempt to reduce that pain, we often cling more tightly to what we have lost in the hope that we can get it back. This attachment can mean our savings, a marriage, our health, or the home we live in. With a few exceptions, the reality is that most crises are not life or death situations. Even though your quality of life may not be the same as it was prior to a crisis, the fact remains that you will survive regardless of how the crisis turns out. Of course, you may be disappointed, Sad, hurt, angry, and frustrated, you may think that life is unfair or even that life is over for you. But usually, it isn't. Assuming you decide to put your life back together again, you will move past the crisis and in time, your life will continue. And hopefully, you'll look back on the crisis with 2020 hindsight and see pain, inspiration, setbacks, and successes. More importantly, Hopefully, you will recognize the many life lessons that you've learned which prepared you to embrace your new life and pursue new dreams, regardless of how different your journey may be now. If you can truly let go of your overinvestment, you will have a game-changing epiphany. You will feel liberated from fear and able to pursue the resolution of the crisis with vigor and without hesitation. As you approach the crisis, you'll feel more motivated, confident, relaxed, and focused. You'll feel prepared physically, emotionally, and psychologically. You'll be excited for what lies ahead rather than afraid. And with a healthy amount of investment in the crisis, you set yourself up to have a better chance of overcoming the crisis and achieving the goals you set for yourself. From Michael Hingson, a blind author, if I were to suggest to other people what they should do if they're going through a tragedy, I would say you must start with accepting the fact that the change happened. Now, ways that are commonly used to let go of attachments include accepting the crisis without attempting to explain, rationalize, or blame. It simply is what it is. Acknowledge how you're feeling. If you're feeling frustration, sadness, and anger, allow yourself to feel those emotions. Identify what you're holding onto, a past relationship, a perception of yourself, Understand your reluctance to let go of what's been lost. Why the need to hang on to it in the first place. Challenge your attachments. What value do they provide to you? Place the crisis in the context of your broader life. A crisis is a part of your life, not life itself. Focus on the present. What can you do now? Focus on what you can control. Let go of the uncontrollables. Connect with people you care deeply about. You will certainly benefit from their support. Journal or talk to people about your feelings. Let those emotions out. Help others. It provides a brief respite from the crisis. Express gratitude, which generates positive thoughts and emotions that counteract the bad ones coming from a crisis. Lastly, keep the crisis in perspective. Most things will pass. Here's a great unknown quote. Sometimes we have to let go of what's killing us, even if it's killing us to let go. The next thing to think about is don't make the crisis your life. A crisis can be overwhelming and all-encompassing. A crisis can haunt your every waking moment when you're working, eating, socializing, exercising. You can't escape it, it seems. It can absorb your thoughts, emotions, energy, and time like a black hole absorbs matter. A crisis can become your life. The problem is that when a crisis becomes your life, you're automatically overinvested in it because there's nothing more important to invest in than your life. To prevent a crisis from overtaking your life, you must first take a step back and recognize that it may be an urgent part of your life right now, but it isn't your whole life. Then, identify the other parts of your life that are still important to you. For example, family, work, sports, or faith. For example, a divorce is one of the most personally painful experiences someone can have. You can feel like a personal failure, as well as have immense ramifications on many aspects of your life, including parenting and finances. A divorce can plunge you into a very deep and dark place. Though you certainly must allow yourself to grieve for the dissolution of your marriage, if you can step back from the anguish of the divorce, and put it in perspective within the totality of your life, you may find that it is much more manageable than you might initially have thought. For example, you can focus on the satisfaction that you get from your career. You can recognize the family and friends whom you love and who love you. You can relish the relationships you have with your children. And you can stay involved in avocations and other activities that bring you joy in your life. You may actually find it useful to schedule when to address the crisis during the day much as you do your work hours and family time. Not only does this remind you that a crisis is only a part of your life, but it also helps you compartmentalize the crisis. There is a time to focus on the crisis, and there is a time to live your life. When you're in the crisis, be completely in it. When you're in your life, be totally immersed in it and allow yourself to be temporarily distanced from the crisis. Another way to reduce your investment in a crisis is to bolster your self-esteem. When a crisis strikes, you can't just instantly build positive self-esteem. Whether high or low, self-esteem evolves from years of life experiences. It's a process that requires self-understanding, conscious awareness, committed effort, and patience. There are no quick or easy ways to rebuild or build your self-esteem. At the same time, it's possible to bolster your self-esteem in the short term to help you cope more effectively with a crisis. A few simple strategies can give your self-esteem a shot in the arm. First, feel the love. As I've noted earlier in this podcast, a key component of self-esteem is feeling loved. So it makes sense that a great way to lift your self-esteem is to reach out to people who love you and allow yourself to feel their caring and support. Also, express your love openly and often to them. Not only does this further your connection, but your love will be reciprocated many times over. Then take that love and use it to build up your confidence and feel good about yourself. In turn, this will help raise your belief that you can successfully overcome the crisis with which you're confronted. Another way to bolster your self-esteem is to support your sense of competence. One of the most difficult aspects of a crisis is feeling doubt that you have what it takes to surmount it. As we know, another important part of self-esteem and overcoming a crisis is feeling competent and confident in your capabilities. There are several ways that you can support your sense of competence. First, make a list of the strengths you bring to the crisis. These assets may be general, such as, I'm a competent person, or involve specific skills that you have related to the crisis. For example, I understand financial issues in a financial crisis. Competence can also involve personal attributes you possess that will help you navigate the crisis, such as being relentless, detail-oriented, and good at solving problems. This exercise pushes against the negative views you might be having about your competence that is low self-esteem, and helps create a positive feeling about your competence with which you can approach the crisis. Second, think back to past crises you've managed in your life and identify what enabled you to do so. Ask yourself how you approach those situations, what poses a potential threat in your ability to successfully navigate those challenges, and what helped you to overcome them. Recounting past crises and your response to them actually offers you tangible evidence that you're competent and have the capabilities to get through another crisis. Third, you can solicit feedback from trusted family, friends, and coworkers about your competence. It's one thing to tell yourself that you're capable, but you may not believe what you say, and hearing it from others is reassuring. More importantly, if you hear it enough from people whom you trust, the message might just sink in. Fourth, make a plan. Regardless of your level of self-esteem, a crisis is threatening to your competence because it's overwhelming and would feel as such for anyone. When you set reasonable goals and make a detailed plan. You take the enormity of a crisis and break it down into manageable pieces that will make you feel more capable of addressing them. More details on making a plan in a later episode. Lastly, you can reinforce your sense of competence by praising yourself for your efforts and successes in combating the crisis. Praise your commitment, determination, and efforts, your curiosity and ingenuity, your openness to viewing the crisis from a positive perspective, and especially the little victories you accrue on your journey through the crisis. One of the most powerful ways that you can boost your self-esteem is to see the successful consequences of your actions. So, when you accomplish a quote-unquote win as you confront a crisis, don't chalk it up to luck or convenience. Praise yourself and the success you've created. Additionally, tell others about your efforts and accomplishments and allow them to praise you as well. All this praise is fuel you'll need to repel the crisis. Another thing you can do to bolster your self-esteem is to focus on what you can control. Particularly with contemporary crises that are indirect, intangible, and often delayed, there's so much about them that is outside of your control. Another helpful way to bolster your self-esteem is to focus on those aspects of a crisis that you have control over. One way to do this is to follow this process. First, Break down the crisis you're facing into as many of its components as you can, including likely causes and possible effects. Take a sheet of paper and divide it into two columns. At the top of the left column, write controllable, and at the top of the right column, write uncontrollable. Assess each cause and effect to be either controllable or uncontrollable. Place the items into their respective columns on the sheet of paper. Cut the sheet in half. And then throw away the uncontrollable half and tape the controllables piece somewhere where you can see it and refer to it regularly as you tackle the crisis. Said the noted psychologist Albert Bandura, people not only gain understanding through reflection, they evaluate and alter their own thinking based on their behavior. Another key aspect of having a healthy investment in a crisis is to adjust your goals. A crisis may very well cause the pursuit of your goals to grind to a painful halt as your time, focus, effort, and energy are diverted away from the goals and onto the immediacy of the crisis. This necessity can be a huge source of frustration and dismay. As I previously noted, a crisis can be a threat to the goals that you hold most dear and ones in which you're heavily invested. Because of this, a crisis can cause you to feel that you have to put your life on hold when you would prefer to be full steam ahead in striving toward your goals. Rather than have your life goals act as an anchor against which you must fight in your efforts to respond to a crisis, harness that energy and apply to goals related to resolving the crisis. Also, put your goals in a broader context. When a crisis strikes, you will only feel stymied and aggravated if you continue to focus on your goals, or more accurately, your inability to pursue them. To prevent you from being engulfed by these feelings, you will need to back away from your goals so you can see them in the broadest context of your life. In doing so, you'll be able to put your goals into perspective, which will better serve you in responding to the crisis at hand. You will come to see your goals only as one part of the landscape of your life, rather than the central part. This new perspective will make it easier for you to accept what is more immediately important, that is the crisis, and make peace with what isn't that is, your life goals. The result is that your investment in your life goals will temporarily decline to a manageable level that allows you to refocus your energies onto the most pressing matter of the crisis. Finally, redirect your crisis goals. After putting your goals into a broader context, you can redirect your goal-setting passion and skills from your life goals to goals you need to set to overcome the crisis. By shifting your investment from your life goals to the crisis at hand, you ensure that you make a wholehearted commitment to achieving your crisis goals. Not only will this help you resolve the crisis, it also provides similar meaning, satisfaction, and joy as fulfilling your life goals, thus making it more palatable to set your life goals aside temporarily. It also allows you to return to pursuing your life goals as soon as possible. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to episode 18 of Crisis to Opportunity, and be on the lookout for episode 19 in the near future.